Thank you so much, Gary, for leading us in worship through scripture reading and through prayer. Thanks also to Kevin and Cindy for leading us in worship through music and for Lisa helping out leading us in worship through scripture reading as well. Well, this morning, I want to start by laying out the scenario for the Pastors Club. Here's what you need to draw a picture of this week. Are you listening? Listen closely. I need you really to listen carefully because I want you to draw a picture of listening really carefully to someone. Now, this isn't just a picture of you in the same room as your mom and dad. No, no, This is you listening really carefully to someone. Are you listening? Okay, good. Because that's what I want you to draw a picture of. Now, I'm adding something new to the Pastors Club this week. Uh, for, the, for the younger kids that are drawing the pictures and stuff, keep doing that. Parents, send those in to me. That's awesome. We will definitely be having that ice cream party whenever we're able to, once the restrictions are lifted. But I realized this week, you know, there's a group of people in our church family that I haven't had a chance really to connect with at all. I've met with a few people on the phone. I've had some Zoom conversations with different groups. But I have not had a chance to meet with youth since I candidated here. And I thought, how can I do that? Because, you know, I'm guessing that most of the youth are probably not too excited about drawing a picture and getting their parents to send it in to me. Just not going to happen. I get that. I thought, I know what might entice them. What about chocolate? What about canteen from the youth? You know, we've got some leftover canteen stuff that didn't get eaten up because youth ended early and and the youth leaders were suggesting to me, like, if you can think of some way to use it, we need to use it up. Well, I'm not going to eat it all myself, much as I would love to. So here's the scoop. If your youth age, which I'm calling youth grades 6 to 12, because we're the end of the school year, normally grade 6s would be starting to connect with the youth group. If you stop by the church during the week and come in and introduce yourself to me, that's all I ask is introduce, okay, maybe, maybe say a couple words, you know, but... I want to get to know you a little bit. Uh, you get free tuck. Sorry, it's not called tuck. It's called canteen. I'm in camp mode here. Canteen. You get to pick a chocolate bar. Now, you won't be able to come up. You'll have to tell me what you want, and I'll go get it for you kind of thing. We've, we've got still the foyer closed off, but I would love to get a chance to meet some of the youth that are part of our church. So if you're grade 6 through grade 12 right now, stop by the church, and uh, let's, let's chat while we eat chocolate together. For everybody else, just, just connect with me, really. Do, do I need to bribe everybody else? We'll see. If I do, I guess we're going to have to get some more canteen supplies, maybe. I don't know. We'll figure this out. But for now, that's what we're doing with the Pastors Club. You know, this morning as we look into God's Word, we're going to continue the series that we started a number of weeks ago. We've been in the book of Job now for quite some time. We started out by taking a look at some tough questions that we ask when we go through difficulties here on, on, on earth. And uh, we use the story of Job to help us to, to know and to learn what our response should be to the difficult questions. Then three weeks ago, we started a walkthrough of the book of Job. Now, the first week, we took a look at the story. The first two chapters, the story of Job losing absolutely everything. Thousands and thousands of animals, all his livestock is gone. All of his servants are gone. His children have been killed in a disaster where the house fell upon them. His health is gone. He's so sickly that when his friends show up to, to comfort him, they don't even recognize him because he got sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And his wife has even kind of turned on him where she's actually saying, 
why are you trying to live in integrity? Just curse God. Be done with it. Like, this is just awful. That's the story. Now, the majority of the book of Job is a conversation that happens between Job and his friends. And we started looking at that last week, and we're breaking it up into nine small sections because we see Job speaks, and then a friend responds. And then Job speaks, and a friend responds. So last week, we saw Job speaking, and he began by expressing his heartfelt sorrow and grief, just how deep his sorrow is. He expressed how he wished he had never been born or that he would just die. That's how low he was emotionally. He also posed the question, why do I even have to go through this? Why do people have to suffer? Well, that was Job speaking. He's the one that started the conversation. Then we had Eliphaz replying. And Eliphaz presented an argument that we are going to hear coming up over and over and over again. Because these three friends, they got together before they showed up to to comfort Job. And they obviously put their heads together and they said, this is what Job needs to hear. Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. God is God, you are not. And God's ways are much higher than ours are. And God is just and carries out judgment. So in order for you to experience God's blessings once again, Job, you have got to confess whatever sin it is that you've done wrong. That's the argument that they presented. Well, today, we're not picking up a brand new piece of conversation. In fact, we need to keep in mind that all nine of these sections, they're all part of one conversation. We're going to actually see Job's response to what Eliphaz has just said. And then we're going to see Bildad respond to what Job said as he responded to Eliphaz, as he said, as he responded to Job. If we keep doing this, if I keep describing it this way, by the time we get through nine, it's going to sound like a really long Christmas carol, the nine, nine parts of conversation for Job. Or I, As I was going through it in my head, I get to the end and I go, so Bildad replied to Job, who replied to Eliphaz, who replied to Job, and the green grass grew all around, all around, and the green grass grew all around. Now you know where my brain goes on moments like that. It has nothing to do with the sermon. But if it helps you remember how this whole conversation flows... That's the important thing. We have to remember that what we're looking at today is a response to what's already been said. And so we need to remember the truth that his friends are trying to declare. What they feel the message he needs to hear is, Job, you've done something wrong and you need to repent. Well, this morning as we look at chapters 6, 7, and 8, Job does most of the speaking. Job starts off chapter 6 by, reading, by saying this. Job chapter 6, beginning at verse 2. If only my anguish could be weighed and my misery be placed on the scales, it would surely outweigh the sand of the seas. No wonder my words have been impetuous. The arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks in their poison. God's terrors are marshaled against me. Job begins to express some frustration and some hurt and some anger as he speaks at this point. First of all, he expresses some frustration with God. He doesn't understand why this is happening. He goes back to the question that he asked earlier in chapter 3 that we looked at last week. Why does this even need to happen? 
And he is convinced that all these bad things that have happened, for some reason they're coming directly from God, and God's the one that's causing them. And so he's crying out to God, and we see him repeating this again in chapter 7, verses 7 through 21, as he continues to cry out to God and express his, his anguish, his confusion, his anger, and perhaps even his frustration. But we also see Job expressing frustration to his friends. Both of these are themes that we're going to see over and over and over as Job continues to reply. Because he's going to continue to ask the same questions of God, and his friends are going to continue responding in similar ways, and he's going to become more and more frustrated with them. Here's what he says. Verse, let's, let's begin reading at verse 8 of uh, chapter 6. I think that's where I want to read. No, sorry, verse 14. There we go. Verse 14 of chapter 6. Anyone who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. But my brothers are as undependable as intermittent streams, as the streams that overflow, when darkened by thawing ice and swollen with melting snow, but that stop flowing in the dry season and in the heat vanish from their channels. That's Job's description of his friends. Can you get the sense he's starting to be a little annoyed with them? Why, why might he be annoyed with them? Well, let's just take a look for a second at Bildad's response because we definitely get confirmed and as he responds why Job is feeling a little bit of frustration with his friends. You ever heard the phrase, good cop, bad cop? You know, you're watching TV and they're doing the interrogation and the one cop is in the interrogating room and kind of being kind and compassionate and, and building rapport with the individual. And then in comes the other cop and they're just like, you did it, didn't you? Come on, tell me, how did you do it? Why did you do it? When did you do it? And they're just, we get this, these two, two personalities playing off of each other. One's trying to appeal to the, to the gentle side and compassionate side, and the other one is just hard nose in your face. Well, that's kind of what Eliphaz and Bildad's responses were like. Eliphaz, that we looked at last week, he was actually fairly gracious in what he said. He was fairly kind in what he said. He had some strong words to say, and as we looked at last week, his teaching wasn't quite correct. He fell into a, a ditch, is the way I described it, where he put all the emphasis on Job, it's what you do. It's your blamelessness and your faithfulness to God that should give you hope. And you're the one that needs to pay the price for your sins, so you need to confess these sins to God. He put all the emphasis on what Job was, was, should needed to do. And as I pointed out last week, that's a ditch that we can fall into. Because the reality is, we can't do anything. It's God who does everything. But I balance that by saying on the other side of the road is the other ditch where we rely so completely on God, which is great. We need to rely on God that we forget that God desires for us to be doing things. And so the proper place to live is actually in, in between those two, in the tension between those two. Acknowledging, I cannot do anything. God does everything, but God desires to work in and through me, and he will enable me to do what he wants me to do. So Job responds, and basically Job's response is one of asking a question. The question that he asks 
and it's the main theme that comes up. He asked this of his friends, first of all, and then he asks it of God. Chapter 6, verse 24. He says this, Teach me, and I will be quiet. Show me where I have been wrong. How painful are honest words. But what do your arrogance prove? What do your arguments prove? Do you mean to correct what I say and treat my desperate words as wind? You could even cast lots for the fatherless and barter away your friend? Basically, what Job is saying is, you know, you might have a point here. Your, your, your logic is correct. God is just. He does bring about judgment. But I don't know what I've done. I, I'm, I'm blameless, he is, is the argument he keeps going back to. Now, we've got the backstory. We know that in chapter 1 and 2, God described Job as being blameless. We know the steps that he could, took to offer sacrifices both for himself and for his family. But Job is saying, okay, if I've done something wrong, show me what it is. Please, teach me. And he says the same thing to God. Um, in chapter 7, verse 20, he, he makes a very similar request to God. So this is what Job has been saying. Listen how Bildad responds. Remember, good cop, bad cop. Then Bildad the Shuhite replied, How long will you say such things? Your words are a blustering wind. Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? When your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. Let me put that in modern-day language. Job, just shut up. Your kids got exactly what they deserved, and so are you. That's how he starts the speech. That's how he starts his response. Job has just said, show me what I've done wrong. If there's anything, like, like help me with this. And Bildad, bam, jumps straight into, you're not listening. You need to smarten up. Your kids got what they deserved. You need to experience God's judgment. And he just starts hammering into him. You've heard the phrase, he came loaded for bear. I mean, he came loaded for Tyrannosaurus Rex. I mean, there, this is like the biggest beast that he came ready to face. And he was prepared. It's like he already knew his speech before Job had even had spoken. He knew after Eliphaz spoke, he knew what he had to say. And he had to drive it home. He says, first of all, God is just. Your kids got exactly what they, want, what they deserved. He also then goes on to point out that God's punishment falls on those who do wrong. And then the majority of his talk is actually giving illustrations from past generations and from, from nature. And how this truth is true. And how this is what really is going on. Once again this week, I want to consider what was the error in Bildad's response? Last week, it was more of a theology, a teaching error that Eliphaz had. This week, it's more of a practical. You see, Eliphaz and Bildad and, 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 and the rest of them that showed up, they, they didn't come, I don't think they came, desiring to hurt Job. In fact, we talked about this over the last couple of weeks, how when they came, they spent seven days just sitting with him in silence, comforting him. It's Job that broke the silence and started the conversation. They came desiring to be helpful. 
But Bildad's response was not helpful. It was hurtful. What's the problem? Have you ever seen the video of a little kid talking to his mother? And his mother's name is Linda. And he wants something desperately. And the mother keeps just talking. And no, no, no. And, and the little kid starts going, Linda, listen. Listen, Linda. Linda, listen. Listen. Linda, you're not listening. I kind of feel like that's what should be said to Bildad here. It's like, Bildad, did you even pay any attention to what Job just said? Did you listen to all, at all what he said? I mean, your response doesn't even tie into the question that he's asked. It doesn't even acknowledge the fact that he's still claiming to be blameless. You just jumped right in with your argument. It's like you didn't listen at all. And I kind of feel like grabbing him by the scruff of the neck and going, Bildad, smarten up. You need to listen to what he's saying. Okay. We're probably all guilty of it. Oh, you don't think so? Parents, have you ever had to humble yourself before your kids when you responded harshly to something that later on you got the whole story and realized you did not know what had happened and your response really wasn't appropriate? Uh, kids, now would not be a good time to elbow your parents in the ribs and go, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's not what I'm going for here. The reality is we all do it, no matter what age we're in. Have you ever found yourself in a conversation with somebody and they start describing a problem that they're having or a difficulty that they're facing, and before they get more than about two sentences into the description, you already know the answer. You know what you've got to tell them. You know how this can be fixed. And you're just waiting for them to take a breath so you can jump in and say, hey, I know what would help. Why don't we do this? You know, at that moment, we kind of shut down our listening skills. We're so focused on what we need to say that we don't listen to what the person is actually saying. As we pointed out last week, a lot of the theology that, that these friends are presenting is bang-on theology. The description of who God is, the description of God being just and carrying out judgment, it's all accurate. But Job had just asked for help. He's asking his friends, help me to see what I have done wrong. Perhaps a better response on Bildad's part would have been, You've asked for help. Let's think about this together. What might it be? Remember this situation back here? How did you respond in that? Could it be that? No? No? Okay. No. Um, what about, tell me about your thoughts right now, the fact that you've lost everything. Now we know in chapter 1 and chapter 2, we're specifically told Job did not sin in his response to the loss. But I would think that would be a good place to start if you were going to help somebody to try and, and, and bring, to the, bring to light what they were doing wrong. Perhaps spending time in prayer would have been a better approach to take and say, you know what, I can't show you what you've done, done wrong, but God can. Let's spend time together and ask him to show us what it is that you need to confess. I'm, I'm not going to say what the best response would have been for Bildad, but these are give you some of the ideas of how he perhaps could have responded. But what does he do? He does not listen at all. He just jumps straight into his argument and picks up right where Eliphaz left and carries on. 
And I think this is why Job is already starting to get frustrated because he sensed a little bit of that happening with Eliphaz. And we're going to see his frustration with his friends get more and more and more intense. He actually makes a statement later on where he describes his friends as being worthless physicians. In other words, what you guys are doing is not helping at all. Bildad does not respond to Job's questions, nor does he consider Job's response, his claim to be blameless. But I want to ask a question of you. How well do you listen to others? You see, it's easy to point our fingers at Bildad and look back at this story and go, oh, here's the problem, you weren't listening, and on and on and on. But let's remember, when we point our fingers this way, there's a lot of fingers pointing back at ourselves. How well do you listen to others? But this message isn't just about a practical listening skill thing, though I think that's a valid lesson to learn, and I think something that we see an example of here of it not being done well, so we should learn from it. But I want us also to consider, how well do you listen to God? Do we ever take Bildad's approach when we're talking to God? We come to God and we know what the problem is and we know what the solution is and so we just come in and bam, 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 rattle it off to God. God, you're awesome, you're sovereign, you're in control and I'm hurting in this way and this is what needs to happen to fix it. Thanks for doing this, God. Look forward to it. Amen. You know, last week we acknowledged that we can do nothing. God does everything. But the place where he wants us to be is acknowledging that he desires to work in and through our lives and that he will enable us to carry out those tasks. You know, when we're going through tough times, sometimes God wants to teach us something through those tough times. The only way we're going to learn what God wants to teach us is if we're open to listening to him. Sometimes he speaks through his words. Sometimes he speaks through friends. Sometimes he speaks in the quietness of our hearts. But we need to be willing to listen. You know, sometimes God wants us to carry out a task in order to, to work through the difficult situation that we're in. The only way we're going to know what God wants us to do is if we're willing to listen. How well are you listening to others? How well are you listening to God? Earlier in the service, we sang the song, uh, which is entitled, Take My Life. And the chorus says, Take my heart and form it. Take my mind, transform it. Take my will, conform it to yours. How do we learn the changes God wants to make in our lives in order for us to be transformed, to be more like him. We need to be listening. We need to hear him as he speaks through his word, as he speaks through studying scriptures, as he speaks through prayer, as he speaks through friends speaking to us, as he speaks through the course, his still small voice speaking to us. This morning's message is more about a practical skill. But it's a practical skill that applies in our relationship with others 
and our relationship with God. Because as we pointed out a few weeks ago, those two are completely intertwined as God's greatest command for us is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. They're interconnected. And so this morning, I want to give us an opportunity. I'm just going to pause while that echo ends. Are we good to go? We're good to go. Sorry about that. Had to make some technical adjustments on the fly. As I draw this message to a close, I want to leave us with the question, how well do you listen to others? How well do you listen to God? But I also leave us with the challenge. God, what are you saying even through this message? You know, I've been preaching long enough to know that if I, if I did a survey of every person that heard this sermon and asked, what was the main point? I'd probably get many different main points. There'd be many different things that God would bring to light to different people. And that's the cool thing about God working in and through a message and through preaching. But what is he saying to you this morning? What has he been saying to you this morning as we have sung songs of praise? What has he been saying to you as we have prayed together and read scripture? In just a moment, Kevin and Cindy are going to sing a song for us. It's entitled, Build My Life. And there's a line in it that says, Lead me in your love to those around me. It's a wonderful song of worship and praise of who God is. Let's sing it together as that. But I invite you to also take this as a time to respond to what God is saying. Perhaps he's speaking to you about an area in which you are not listening as well as you could be. To him or to others. Perhaps he's wanting to teach you something at this moment. Perhaps he's wanting to encourage you at this moment. As Kevin and Cindy lead us in this song, let's take this as a time of response and allow him to minister to us as we praise him. Let's sing together.